not to get your hopes up, church, but um, I really intended um, to give y'all about a 10 or 15 minute sermon this morning. <laughs> but uh, as so often happens with me, this is just a habit of mine, when I, when I get to going on these things, I've, I've managed to turn this thing into a very expansive dissertation, basically. Um, so what I'm going to try to do, I'm going to try to do my best to breeze through this as quickly as I possibly can. I know we got communion this morning and everything, and we all want to get out of here on time. Um, but anyway, I'm going to try my best to breeze through it as quickly as I can. But at the same time, I don't want to take away, I don't want to do, do that so much that I take away from the importance of this particular topic. Uh, because it is, a, it, it is a very important topic. It's, it's one that's close to my heart, and uh, to me, it, 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 can, it can really change so much, about our, so much about our lives, so much about our walk with God, and our relationships with other people. Um, first of all, I just want to follow up briefly on what we talked about last week. If y'all happen to have been here, if you, if you were not here, um, we basically talked about this idea, this doctrine, this practice of this thing in the church that we call repentance. And we looked at Psalm 51, which is a prayer of repentance. It's generally attributed uh, to David. And when we looked at that, what we saw there was just this beautiful model, this beautiful model of what a repentant prayer could look like or what, what, it, what a repentant prayer, prayer does look like. Uh, uh, repentance and restoration to God. You see that you see this restoration that David experiences in this beautiful prayer from Psalm 51. Uh, but the main thing that I asked you to take home, the main thing that I wanted you to take home from that sermon that we uh, from last week, is that at the end of the day, I don't want you guys thinking that repentance is about beating ourselves up. Repentance is not about beating ourselves up, and it's not about tormenting ourselves. It's not about harshly judging others. It's not about shaming others, and it's not about shaming ourselves. At the very base, at its very, very foundation, repentance is basically, re repentance comes from this, this Greek word, and that word is metanoia. And basically, all that word means is to turn around and to go the opposite way. It means literally to change our minds. It means to recognize those areas of our lives, those areas of our lives in our thinking, in our speaking, in our being, in our relationships um, with God and with, and with other people where we are failing to live up to God's standards. What are God's ultimate standards? We all know that by now. Loving Him with our heart, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. So it's recognizing these things in our lives. Um, it's confessing these things openly, and it's doing a 180-degree turn turnaround. So basically, repentance is just a move from one direction that's, that's guided by sinfulness, one direction that's guided by selfishness, and towards another direction that is, that's grounded in the heart and the mind of Christ. Um, I also failed to mention to you this, and that is repentance is a gift of God. Repentance is a gift of God's grace. And that may sound strange to you on the surface, but yeah, repentance is a work of God's love for us. When we exercise repentance, we experience freedom. When we are freed from guilt and shame that we might be carrying around, our relationships with God and with other people are restored, and we are moved towards that beautiful, that abundant life that God, that Christ wants to give us. Let me put it to you like this. I read a, I read a devotion, and this, this wasn't on purpose. It's, it's really cool how this stuff just kind of falls into our lap sometimes. Um, but there was a particular devotion that I read this past week, and the author of that devotion puts, puts it like this, much more beautiful um, words that I could, than I could ever think of. But this is how, this is how he describes repentance and how it is a gift of God's grace. And y'all think about this. It's kind of long, but I, I really couldn't shorten it anymore. But he wrote this. He said, God is like a lover who loves us and whose love oftentimes is not returned. So God has to wait for us. And God waits 
for a change of heart in his beloved children. God waits. God does not force us because to force us would be to violate the law of love. Repentance is not repentance for a Christian unless it includes the realization of forgiveness. The realization that we truly are forgiven. If it did not include that, it would just be shame or mere remorse. But for the Christian, sorrow for our sins, a realization of our weaknesses, is never depressing. It should never make us downcast. Because if it is truly the result of the grace of God, then at the same time it includes the dawning, the realization of what God's forgiveness is. Repentance for the Christian is always, now get this, a joyous occasion. One that leads to peace. So that's what I was getting at last week when we were talking about this thing, repentance. Repentance brings reconciliation. Brings restoration in our relationships with God, our relationships with other people. It brings spiritual growth. And as that author just so beautifully put it, it brings peace into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, into our spirits. On the other side of this thing that we call repentance is what we in the church refer to oftentimes as confession. And you've already heard me utilize that term a couple times this morning um, briefly. Confession and repentance are basically two sides of the same coin. These things go absolutely hand in hand. You really can't have one without the other. They are, they are partners. Confession comes first, followed by a turnaround, which we call repentance, turning away. So that's what I want to talk about just for a few minutes this morning is this, is this idea of confession. And the scripture comes out of the book of James. Uh, there's a good chance that I may have may have preached on this before since I've been here at Bemis. I don't know that. I know I know for a fact I have referenced it because it because it is happens to be one just happen, uh, happens to be one of my favorite scriptures. Uh, but I don't think I've preached solely solely on this scripture. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of my favorites because there's so much power and there is so much truth in just these few verses. I can't I can't even begin to 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 fathom or to describe to you what could possibly happen in the church if we would just take these few verses to heart. But it's James chapter 5, and it's verses 13 through 16. So verse 13, James writes, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's the word of God for the people of God. And, uh, you know, like I was mentioning before I read that scripture, but, you know, beyond the, uh, beyond the Gospels, James is probably my favorite book in the entire Bible, probably for a number of reasons. First and foremost, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a short book. That's not the reason it's my favorite, but it is a short book, but it's all about practical Christianity. A very, very quick read that is all about how to put our faith in Christ into actual, tangible practice. It's a practical guide for the Christian. It's almost like Christianity 101. How do I, what do I go about doing, and how do I go about doing it? What you're going to see in, in the book of James is you're going to see a lot of parallels between the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels 
and what James writes in his book. And there's probably a reason for that. Most people believe that the author of James is, uh, is Jesus' half-brother, the natural son of Mary and Joseph. So yeah, that's one of the reasons I tend to... Tend to t I put a lot of stock in the book of James because this is probably a guy that, that grew up alongside Christ, so he probably knows him pretty doggone well. And uh, he probably knows what he's all about. Consider that close relationship. But anyway... The text that we're looking at uh, today is basically instructions to the church. It's instructions for us today to pray for one another in all of life's circumstances, all of our ups and downs, all of our spiritual sicknesses, all of our physical sickness. But what I want us to really, really hone in on for the purpose of what we're doing today is, that, is verse 16. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. I cannot begin to tell you, church. I cannot begin to tell you how much power and how much truth lies in those few words. What is that, like seven to ten words, something like that? I cannot tell you how much power and how much truth is contained in those words. You know, I shared with you guys something by at the end of my sermon last week, and uh, if you weren't here, that's okay, too. You'll, you'll, you'll get it when I, when, I, when I talk about it. But I shared with you last week at the end of my sermon certain instances and certain personal areas in my life uh, primarily that all began in my heart, you know, that, that, that have changed dramatically over the years in my walk with Christ. These were areas where, 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 I, where I continue to discover that I'm a little less sinful, uh, I'm a little less selfish, I'm a little less concerned about myself, and I'm a little more concerned about others. In other words, I share with you some areas where I have experienced personal spiritual growth. Now, all of that, every single bit of that is nothing but a gift from God. I boast in nothing but the power of Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote. All of that is a gift of grace. All of that is a gift of God. I take no credit for that whatsoever. But how does that stuff come about, church? Because it doesn't just come about without me at least getting involved with what God wants to do in my life. We've already talked about this very, very recently. This is why we have the spiritual practices that we have. Change comes about. God utilizes the spiritual practices that we have, what we in the Methodist tradition call the means of grace. These are the tools, these are the vehicles, that, if you will, that God utilizes to effect this change in our life. So we're talking about prayer, we're talking about scripture study, we're talking about fasting, we're talking about, we're talking about church attendance, um, all of these things that we have at our disposal that we have actually talked about a number of times recently. But I'm going to tell you, church, through all the prayer that I engaged in, and, to, and I'll use the present tense, through all the prayer that I engage in, through all the scripture study that I engage in, um, I, I do practice fasting from time to time and, 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 and other, kind of, other kind of disciplines. There's, there's dozens, if not hundreds of them. But of all of these disciplines, of all of these practices that I've engaged in with God, the one that has brought about the single most significant change in my life personally has been the practice of confession. Confession to God and confession to other people. Now, I'm just going to take a guess. I'm going to take a shot in the dark here right now. I'm going to say most of us probably have zero problem whatsoever confessing our sins to God. But when it comes to confessing our sins to another person, that is a whole other ballgame. But church, I cannot begin to tell you what a powerful, powerful, life-changing, heart-changing practice this is. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other. Why? so that you may be healed. 
so that you may be healed, so that you may be so that you may experience spiritual growth, so that God can give you and will give you that life, that abundant life that Christ talks about so, so very much. I don't understand it, church. I guess I do, you know. For, for some reason, this is, this is like the least practiced spiritual discipline in the church. Um, and I guess there's a lot of reasons for that. Pride, fear, shame, uh, this very weird and very unbiblical belief that Christianity is a private affair and that it's a solitary practice. We've talked about that before. We're afraid of what people will think about us. Those are major obstacles, church. Those are major obstacles to the spiritual freedom and the peace that God wants to give you and that God will give you. Y'all know I've talked about this many times. I'm going to talk about it more this morning, but y'all know that I'm involved in 12-step in groups. Um, there's a saying that you, that you hear a lot in 12-step groups. Those are, if y'all don't know what those are, those are your Alcoholics Anonymous, your Narcotics Anonymous. There's, there's dozens of, of, those, of those particular organizations out there now that are all based on what they call the 12 steps. But if in a, there, there's, a, there's a phrase that you hear a lot in those organizations, and that phrase sound, it goes something like this. It says, you are only as sick as your secrets. You are only as sick as your secrets. How much truth is contained in that statement, church? Our secrets keep us spiritually sick. Beyond that, our secrets keep us emotionally sick. They keep us physically sick. Remember this, church, your spiritual life, your emotional life, your physical life, all of these things are interconnected. If one of them is experiencing sickness, the, there's another portion of it that's going to be affected as well. All of that is inter interconnected. We are only as sick as our secrets. Oddly enough, though, I did not hear about this practice of confession coming up in the church. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was taught to us. It, it, it wasn't emphasized in my experience, even though it is talked about and emphasized time and time and time again in Scripture. I knew that Catholics went to a priest to confess to their sins for their sins. I got to learn that from watching television, right? Um, but it wasn't part of my upbringing. It wasn't, it, it, and I'll be honest with you, if anything, our sins or our shortcomings were something that we were kind of supposed to keep quiet, kind of keep that stuff to yourself. Those are, those are private matters. They were kind of they were kind of hush hush. So it was really weird that I wasn't I wasn't exposed to the idea or the practice of confession through uh, through the church. I was exposed to it through Alcoholics Anonymous. I was exposed to it first through twelve step groups, and uh, that's really no surprise because this I'll give you a little history. The twelve steps originated in a church setting. The twelve steps are grounded in Scripture. They're all very basic practice Christian practices and Christian disciplines. As a matter of fact, when the early AA group, AA Alcoholics Anonymous groups would get together, they would sit down and they would study the Sermon on the Mount. And surprise, surprise, they would study together the book of James. So I was exposed to this idea or this practice first through them and not through the church. Now that's weird in my thinking today, but it just is what it is. Anybody can benefit. I'm going to talk to you about this a little bit. Anybody can benefit from incorporating these 12-step practices into your lives. You don't have to be an alcoholic or, or an addict. Um, let, me kind of, let me kind of show you what I'm talking about. Let me, let me show you what I was introduced to initially. Um, should have been introduced to it in the church, but this, this is how I was introduced to it. Let me tell you a little bit about, little bit about the 12 steps, three of them specifically, since it's, they go along with the idea of confession this morning. Hit that first slide, Laura. 
Uh, this is the fourth step of the, of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, and it says that we make a searching and a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. You can change, you, if, you like, if you don't like that word moral, change it to spiritual. We made a searching and a spiritual or a moral inventory of yourselves. How many times over the month, church, have I encouraged you guys to consistently take an inventory of your life, to consistently take an inventory of what's going on in your life, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's a struggle, whether it's a victory, whether it's a sin, whatever, to evaluate that stuff in your life and to evaluate your motives and to evaluate your intentions, to evaluate your heart. Guess where I learned this idea first? Wasn't here. It was right here. And this is what these 12-step participants do. This is, this is one of their first steps, actually, towards, um, towards their progress in recovery. Uh, in this particular one, what they'll generally do is they'll sit down with a piece of paper. They actually write this stuff down on, on paper. And they write down all of their sins, all of their shortcomings. Every per they try to remember every person they have ever hurt in their lives, every bad thing they have ever done. And they write all that stuff out. Can you imagine what a gut-wrenching experience that is? But if you think that's gut-wrenching, check out what they do in step five. They admit it to God. They admit to God, to themselves. And see where I've got that highlighted there? To another human being, the exact nature of their wrongs. In other words, they take that moral inventory that they've just written out. They take that spiritual inventory they have just written out they don't just find a corner somewhere where they can pray to God. For some reason, I don't know why it is, confessing our sins to God Almighty is easier than confessing to a person. It just, but, it, but it is that way. No, they don't do that. They have to do it with another human being. They have to lay out all of their garbage to another person. It is a gut-wrenching step, folks. It is a humbling. It is the most, probably one of the most humble experiences you can ever possibly imagine. But most people who have done it, in my experience, who I have met, will tell you that it is one of the most liberating experiences of the 12-step program. It's where they throw their guilt and their shame into the welcoming arms of a forgiving God. And through sharing their sins with one another, with another human being, we find out we're not that different from one another. But can we be that honest? Confession for 12-step groups doesn't end in step 5. There's, a, there's another one. It's step 10. <laughs> kind of goes along with the rest of them. It says they continue to take first personal inventory when they were wrong, promptly admitted it. They refer to this as the maintenance step or one of the maintenance steps. It's, it's a lifelong thing. Practicing taking a moral and a spiritual inventory, openly confessing our sins to God and others. It's a lifelong, continuous journey if, we're to, if they are to remain spiritually healthy and they will remain submissive to God and their will for their lives. It's not an option. It's not an option. We're always taking inventory of ourselves, of our hearts, of our intentions, of our motives, of our relationships, of our sins, of our shortcomings. Church, I can't tell you how freeing of an experience this is. can't begin to tell you. And I'm not encouraging you guys to go and load your dirty laundry with any Tom, Dick, and Harry that you run across. And you don't, I'm not a Catholic priest. You don't have to do it with me. 
But I am going to encourage to find you somebody, somebody that you can trust, somebody that you can trust with your deepest, darkest, innermost thoughts, your deepest, darkest, innermost secrets, your deepest, darkest, innermost struggles. Because we've all got them, church. We've all got them. Somebody that you can lean on, somebody that you can trust to free yourself from this baggage that you're carrying, this baggage that is making you spiritually sick. It may be even making you physically sick. Find somebody you can do that with. If you're wondering, yes, I've got people in my life that I do that with. My wife is one of them. Our DS is one of them. I've got a couple other people that I trust fully enough with, with my secrets, that I'm intimate enough with, that I can be honest enough with. And I know this is, this, this is such a, so crazy to me, but I know that this is a new concept to most of you. Y'all have been sitting in church, most of everybody in this church have been sitting here for decades. This is a new concept to you, and I know that. What a tragedy that is. What a tragedy it is that nobody's ever taught you guys this before, that nobody's ever encouraged you this. This is a major life changer. I can't tell you how it works other than through the grace of God, but I can tell you that the practice of confession with another human being works. If it's all, this is, and, and if this is all new to you, I'm going to encourage you to try attending our life groups. Y'all know I've talked about that for the last three or four weeks. We've got two of them. Both of these groups are loving, they're caring. I assure you that anything that you say to them, they're going to keep to themselves. We don't get too deep in these groups, I'll be honest with you about that, but we do oftentimes confess our, some of our sins, some of our surface-level sins, some of our surface-level struggles and our shortcomings. And even with that, even just, even just scratching the surface, without, we're, not even, we're not even going deep, deep, deep into the deep, dark areas of our lives. We're just going just a little bit, just a little. But even with that, I'm going to tell you, and you can ask anybody else who regularly attends those groups, they have experienced some healing in those groups. Some spiritual healing. Tell me if I'm lying. Anybody who regularly attends, am I lying about that? To some degree or another, y'all have experienced some level of spiritual healing when you open yourselves up when you're transparent and when you're honest with people about your struggles. That happens there, church. If you really want to see what a what, what confession looks like, and this is hard for me to admit, folks. This is, this is hard for a preacher to, to have to say, but it's honest to you. If you really want to see what confession looks like, the best place you're going to find it is, an, is at an AA meeting or an NA meeting or any of those other numerous 12-step groups that are out there. A lot of those meetings are open to anybody. You don't have to have a problem to attend them. We host a group right here at Bemis on Friday nights where everybody's welcome. Now, if you, you may scoff at that idea, but let me tell you, and this is what I don't like to admit, folks, but the truth is the truth sometimes. I have experienced far more honesty, far more transparency, and far more authenticity among 12-step participants than I have ever overall with church folks. If the church was just half as open to putting these ideas in the practice, into practice as these other groups are, we would have much healthier churches. That's a guarantee. I feel 100% confident making that statement. But for some reason, we're just not. We just can't bring ourselves to do it. And I don't know why. I don't understand it. 
Maybe we can change that here, here at our church. Maybe we, maybe we can change that at Bemis. I, I don't know. You know, it, 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 all, it all comes down to this. You know, how bad? I think, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a commonality. There's, there's a commonality with, with people. In my experience, there's a commonality with people who reach the end of their rope, who have, who have major life blows, who, 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 who reach the, 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 the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. There's something about those types of people who, who, uh, who are able to recover from whatever it is they're recovering. When they have that spiritual awakening, they're alive, man. And they want more of it. And they want to see more spiritual growth in their lives. And they're willing to go to any lengths to do that, to accomplish that. What's going on in my heart? Am I willing to go to any lengths for spiritual growth? Because that's what it amounts to. Spiritual growth is not going to happen sitting in church one hour on Sunday per week. Not going to happen. I love that y'all are here. I love every single one of you. But if you're coming here one hour a week and that's the, that's the extent of your spiritual practices, you're not going to grow spiritually. There ain't nothing I can say up here in one hour that's going to make you grow. How bad do you want spiritual growth? Because spiritual growth is not comfortable. Spiritual growth is painful. Any kind of growth whatsoever is always going to be challenging and painful to us. It's painful to have to admit where we screw up to another human being. It's painful to admit that we're not as perfect as we want to make other people think that we are. It's painful to admit that, yeah, I've got sin in my heart. It's painful to admit that I messed somebody else over. It's painful to admit that I've got bitterness and I've got resentment. It's painful to admit that I have done bad things. Spiritual growth is painful. How bad do we want it? Now, on the other end of that pain is the victory. On the other end of that pain, that growth, that challenge is healing. On the other end of that pain, that growth, that gut-wrenching confession is that peace that Christ wants to provide for us. If you want a healthy spiritual life, that's really up to you. God's just waiting, like that author said from the devotion that I, that I read earlier. He loves you to death. He's just waiting on you. But he's only going to grow you as much as you're willing to grow, as much as we are willing to grow. One of the cool things that I like about our, um, our communion liturgy that we do once, once every, every month, sometimes more often, is there is a prayer of confession in our in our communion liturgy, and uh, it's right it's right there at the beginning. We, it's something that we all do together. We confess our sins together, just as a practice. Just as a practice, as we go through this this morning, try not to just read these things off like they're words on a page. Take these words to heart because they apply to all of us. There's not a person here that these words of confession don't apply to, including this guy all day long. But check out these words. It's, again, it's, it's right at the beginning, pretty much. And try to pray those words. If you're honest about it, I mean, if, you, if, if, you, if, if you're not, that's fine, too. Um, see, if, see if you can't honestly just offer these words to God this morning.